Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from episode 11, our discussion on some of the key trends of Nashville on the first part of 2023. The episode itself strayed from the original premise to become a fascinating look at the emerging tension between the rapid development of drug and diagnostics versus sociopolitical behavior that does not adequately address the underlying sources of metabolic disease. What emerged was a fascinating, complex session. Then from the vault, we have conversation 28.4 from season three, and we see Stephen Harrison, Jorn Schottenberg, Louise Campbell, and I discuss how the drug development landscape looked and felt a mere nine months ago. In this conversation, Jeff McIntyre continues his discussion of major issues, this time noting enthusiastically that major health and advocacy organizations in the obesity space are coalescing around the need to view obesity as a medical condition reflecting genetic backgrounds and metabolic factors rather than simple poor patient lifestyle behavior. From here, the conversation shifts to a troubled public policy debate around labeling for children's breakfast cereals. Health advocates support FDA in seeking not to describe any cereal as healthy on its box if it exceeds a certain level of added sugars. But cereal manufacturers are arguing that any effort by FDA to influence what they put on the box constitutes an inappropriate infringement by corporate free speech rights. As Jeff notes, one problem here is that chronic disease is underrepresented in the conversation while the big food companies are stacked with lobbyists and pushing aggressively. One key point emerging from this episode is that the effects of the fatty liver pandemic will be with us far after we have begun to implement new drug and lifestyle interventions, and better diagnostic testing. This is a huge issue with dramatic, far-reaching implications for health systems around the world. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Jeff McIntyre. I had three points here board with. GLI, Global Liver Institute that I represent, was the only liver group that actually, we just partnered with the American Medical Association as well as groups like the Obesity Society, OCAN, and uh, Stop Obesity Coalition here in Washington, D.C. to sign on, citing that there is a belief in the support of obesity needs to be medicalized, that it needs to be a medicalized sort of term, and that that's something that's still pushed back against in a lot of a lot of areas, but that it, it meets all the definitions in order for it to be medicalized. And what's interesting to me in that, there's kind of two ways to come at this. Dare I drop the nomenclature issue into this, but I think it is pertinent a little bit that, you know, nomenclature originally started talking about non-alcoholic and about how the disease can't be defined by something that it's not. I get that. It's semantic, but I understand that, you know, no issues with that. But then very quickly, we evolved into a discussion about fatty and about whether it was, it led to stigma. How should it be defined? How do we talk about this? And there was a real pushback on that. And that conversation is still going on. I disagree with the priority that it has, as I've cited on prior podcast here with you, Roger. But one of the things that concerned me about our signing on to that is not that we signed on, but that we were the only liver group in the room that signed on to that. There's nobody else that is kind of engaged with the obesity community to be able to talk about the medicalization of obesity in that way. And that's an issue. And it makes me believe then, you know, it makes me question the prioritization of talking about fatty as a name when we're just not seeing any action happening from the other communities in that as well. If hepatology associations could have joined our support for like front of package nutrition labeling, reductions of high fructose corn syrup, reductions in unhealthy food marketing to children, and most importantly, and this is the third point, is that there's a conversation, a rulemaking actually happening at the FDA right now on what defines a healthy food, quote unquote healthy. How do you define healthy? And frankly, chronic disease is really underrepresented in that conversation. And I can guarantee you the food industry, especially the what we 
would call the junk food industry, is there in spades specifically promoting supplements, if you will. And I cited actually at Global Nash a little bit a letter that was filed with the FDA from a couple of weeks ago on February 16th, where most of the major sugary cereal manufacturers here in the United States not only disagreed with the notion of what the FDA proposed in terms of healthy, which is what we think of that, you know, foods have to contain a major food group like dairy or fruits or whole grains, and it must fit certain limits on saturated fat, sodium, and added sugars. And notably, the rule limits cereals, for, for instance, to no more than two and a half grams of sugar per serving in order to be labeled as healthy. And this is something that I see has a real impact on the future of liver health, which is that these companies have cited that that's an overreach of government power and that food companies have a constitutionally protected commercial speech right. That's, you know, for those not in the United States, that's a free speech right covering their ability to use the term healthy, quote unquote, to describe added sugar. What this filing says from these companies is that it not only scorns the labeling rules as kind of this First Amendment issues, but it actually argues that sugary cereals pose no health risk and actually are in fact beneficial to society and to childhood health. And the reason they cite it is because they say, well, it's already a part of nutrition program. It's an argument that folds on itself. It says, well, if it wasn't healthy, then it wouldn't be a part of the nutrition program for women's infants and children. It wouldn't be part of the national school lunch program when we know that there has been very specific lobby in that area. So when you think about kids and you think about, you know, how they eat, say, sugary cereals of some sort, you know, most kids eat more than one serving. And so most cereals contain roughly about 12 grams of sugar per serving. That's nearly five times the limit right now that's proposed by the FDA. That's if it's two and a half, then that's five times the limit per day. And if you think that children typically eat more than twice the recommended serving size, then that means one breakfast portion for them is going to be roughly 24 grams of sugar. That's like eating a Snickers chocolate bar here in this. If you have this being defined as healthy, then I think what you're going to see is a lot more confusion from patients, a lot more distrust from patients getting involved. And what we have seen is our previous like big blow up in obesity coming from the late 80s and the early 90s. We're facing another one based on this rulemaking that could absolutely do that as well. So those are my big three things, Roger. It's uh, drug therapies, it's biomarkers, and our own coming rush of obesity. We have yet to see it blow up in the way that it's about to blow up if the folks get their way at the FDA. Louise Campbell. I think we dived into the first one, that which the ISIS, which Jeff brought up two very good comments, that they didn't recognize NASH as a progressive disease. And the second one of concern was that NASH um, was asymptomatic. Now, we all know that both of those are wrong. Jörn Schattenberg. Yeah, you, there's a lot of things you can say. And obviously, it speaks to the evidence that needs to be even further generated, right? So I think the fields needs to continue to work on that. But clearly, it has been shown based on biopsies and outcomes that this is a progressive disease. It is not progressive in all patients. And I think we're working strongly in the context to have prognostic biomarkers actually being developed, even independent of baseline liver histology, which which we all know we don't want to assess a patient in which is the context actually the ELF score is currently approved, has been approved by the FDA. So we want other biomarkers in a case finding concept or even a general population screening based concept to tell us who will develop the liver outcome to be able to offer preventive measures to 
to these patients. And clearly it progresses. Uh, I think uh, studies from the pathology field have shown that. I think the bit that concerns me, Jeff, you raised all of the right points from my the alarms going off in my head about what's healthy. Healthy is natural on the whole, as we know. Uh, and nature, we are genetically cavemen and cave women with the nature that provided us with our food sources and we're, and we're built around that. But actually, as we know in history, history is written by the winner. It is never written by the loser. So if we write into history and we let big companies with sugar and rewrite the history of sugar and added sugars, then that is a concern. Do I think we should ban it? No, I think it's about education and to choose your lifestyle choices because I think you can't come into the amendments and come in into rights. You can't stop people. I think New Zealand are looking at not allowing cigarettes or something into the country. I think that's a bit too far because, again, it does stop people making a choice. If you know to smoke and you know it's bad for you but you still choose it, that's your choice. The same way as we know to eat unhealthy foods. But when you redefine unhealthy as healthy, you give people less choice and less opportunities to make informed decisions based on it. So therefore, whose amendments and whose rights are being diluted and washed away in the value of the big buck and earning that next dollar, I suppose. Well, we could talk about that ad infinitum, but that, that would concern me the same as it concerns everybody, I'm sure. But the one that did concern me was that you were the only liver group in the room joining on the obesity as a disease. That concerns me. We know that there is a large percentage of people whose obesity is a disease, the same way as we know that liver disease can be a liver disease, not a lifestyle choice that can necessarily always do it. And there's genetics that play into that. And I think you'll get that split. We get it in the split in the liver community, and I'm sure the split in the obesity community with that. But that, that does concern me that more evidence and more countries have defined it as a disease. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send me an email at questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to discuss the ICER draft guidance on pricing for Esmeteram or beta-colic acid, an important issue and one where you're invited to join us through audience participation. Send a note to questions at surfingnash.com if you want to request an invitation for the live recording Monday, March 13th at 2 o'clock. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.